And hello everyone, I'm Bob Kieser. This is the Son of Man Urantia Project. Today's episode is chapter 37, The Mount of Transfiguration. Jesus and the apostles reached the foothills of Mount Hermon on August 12th, A.D. 29. They set up camp where the lad, Tiglath, had not so long ago waited for Jesus when he went to the mountaintop alone, confronted and conquered his arch enemies, and technically ended the Lucifer Rebellion, settling the spiritual destiny of Urantia, our earth. They rested here for two days to spiritually prepare themselves for what was soon to come. Jesus had a good idea of what was going to happen on the mountaintop, and he hung out with the apostles for two days, hoping that all of them would be able to rise to the spiritual levels they needed to have to go with him for this event. But that was not to be. They had not yet reached the spiritual maturity needed to justify their full exposure to the celestial beings that were soon to appear on earth. Since he could not take them all with him, Jesus decided on the three that normally stayed with him. So, only Peter, James, and John were able to share even a small part of this unique experience. The Transfiguration Six days after Peter's confession under the mulberry trees that Jesus was the Son of God, Jesus and his three apostles headed up the mountain. Jesus had been summoned to, or told to attend, this meeting with the celestial host to discuss matters related to his progress as the Son of Man and how it was affecting his universe that he was bringing to perfection. It is worth noting that this extraordinary meeting was timed to not only take place while Jesus was in Gentile lands, but that it actually took place on a mountain claimed by the Gentiles. The four made it about halfway up Mount Hermon by noon and stopped for lunch. While they were eating, Jesus told the three apostles a little bit about his time in the hills east of the Jordan right after he had been baptized by John, and some of his experience when he was by himself the last time he was on that mountain. When Jesus was a boy, he used to climb the hill close to his house, and looking out on the plain of Esdrelion, he would sit and dream about all the armies and battles that had been fought there in the past. Now, he was on Mount Hermon to receive the endowment, or in other words, to be awarded the spiritual gifts that were going to prepare him to go down onto those very Jordanian plains below and meet the final closing scenes of his time with us on earth. Jesus did not have to do this. That day, he could have chosen to return to rule his universe. Instead, he chose to meet the requirements of divine sonship according to the mandate of the eternal Son of Paradise and to embrace the last full measure 
of the present will of the Paradise Father. His three apostles looked on in amazement that day when they saw him decline his right to full universe authority. And the celestial messengers departed, leaving him alone to finish out his life on earth as the Son of Man and the Son of God. The apostles had reached the high point of their faith when they took part in feeding the 5,000 people. Then, their faith had quickly fell to almost zero. Now, with Jesus admitting his divinity, their faith again peaked over the next couple of weeks, only to then again progressively decline. It was not until after the resurrection that their faith was again revived. It was a beautiful day on the mountain. About three o'clock in the afternoon, Jesus said, I'm going off by myself for a while to talk with the Father and his messengers. I want you to stay here, and while you're waiting for me to get back, pray that the Father's will be done in your future time with the Son of Man. Jesus then left the three apostles and went off by himself, where he had a long conference with Gabriel and the father Melchizedek. He returned about six that evening. When Jesus saw that the apostles had been worried because he was gone so long, he said, Why were you afraid? You know I must be about my father's business. Why do you doubt when I am not with you? I am now telling you that the Son of Man has decided to go through his full life with you and as one of you. Be happy. I will not leave you until my work is finished. As they were eating what little they had for supper, Peter asked Jesus, How long do we stay on this mountain away from the others? And Jesus said, until you see the glory of the Son of Man, and you know that whatever I have told you is true. As the evening wore on, the four sat around the glowing embers of the fire, talking about the Lucifer rebellion. But they had all started out early that morning, and the apostles' eyes grew heavy. After they had been in a deep sleep, For about half an hour, they were suddenly woken up by a nearby crackling sound. Looking on, amazed and a bit worried, they watched Jesus talking to two brilliant beings clothed in celestial light, his own face and body shining with a heavenly glow. The three spoke in a strange language, and Peter, trying to understand it, wrongly decided that the two beings with Jesus were Moses and Elijah. Actually, as said earlier, they were Gabriel and the father Melchizedek. The apostles were able to see all of this happen because Jesus had arranged with the physical controllers for them to be able to do so. 
The apostles were afraid of what they were seeing and slow to collect their wits. As the dazzling vision faded and they saw Jesus standing alone, Peter, who was the first one to come to his senses, said, Jesus, Master, it is good to have been here. We rejoice seeing this glory. We do not want to go back down to the shameful world below. If you are willing, let us live here, and we will set up three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Peter said this because he was confused, and because just at that moment, nothing else came to mind. While Peter was still talking, a silvery cloud appeared right over the four of them. The apostles were now really scared, and they fell down to the ground on their faces to worship. As they did so, they heard a voice, the same voice that had spoken at Jesus' baptism, say, This is my beloved Son. Take notice of him. And when the cloud vanished, the three were again alone with Jesus. Reaching down and touching them, Jesus said, Get up. Do not be afraid. You will see greater things than this. But the apostles were truly afraid. They were silent and thoughtful as they got ready to head down the mountain a little before midnight. Coming down the mountain. No one said anything until they were about halfway down the mountain. Then Jesus said, Make sure that you tell no one, not even the other apostles, what you have just heard and seen on this mountain, until the Son of Man has risen from the dead. The three apostles were shocked and bewildered. Until the Son of Man has risen from the dead? They had just recently reaffirmed their faith in Jesus as the Deliverer, as the Son of God, and they had all just seen him transfigured into greater glory right before their very eyes. And now he was talking about rising from the dead. Peter shook at the thought of the Master's dying. That was too horrible of an idea to even bring up. And since he was afraid that John or James might ask Jesus about what he had just said, Peter wanted to start the conversation off on another direction. So, not knowing what else to talk about, he asked Jesus the first thing that came to his mind. Master, why did the scribe say that Elijah must come first before the Messiah will appear? Jesus knew what Peter was trying to avoid. And he said, Elijah indeed comes first to prepare the way for the Son of Man, who must suffer many things and finally be rejected. But I am telling you that Elijah has already come, and they did not receive him well 
but instead they did whatever they wanted to him. The three three apostles thought that Jesus was referring to John the Baptist as Elijah. Jesus knew that since they insisted on thinking of him as the Messiah, then in line with that belief, John must be Elijah in the prophecy. Jesus had ordered the three apostles not to tell anyone about them seeing a hint of Jesus' glory that was going to come after the resurrection. Because knowing that they thought of him as the Messiah, he did not want them now thinking that he was going to fulfill their ideas of being a miracle-working deliverer. So, Peter, James, and John did as Jesus asked and told no one about what they had seen until after his resurrection. After going a little farther down the mountain, Jesus said, You would not accept me as the Son of Man. So, I have agreed to be seen by you as you think I am. But, do not mistake the fact that my Father's will must be done. If you decide to follow your own ideas, be ready to experience many trials and suffer many disappointments. Regardless, the training I have given you should be enough to see you through even those sorrows of your own choosing. Jesus did not take Peter, James, and John with him on this trip up the mountain because they were in any way more spiritually fit for the experience than the others. In fact, none of the twelve were spiritually qualified to witness this rare event. These three got to go just because they were the ones that normally went with Jesus when he needed to be alone in the hills. Meaning of the Transfiguration What Peter, James, and John saw on the Mount of Transfiguration was just a fleeting glimpse of the heavenly parade of events that happened that day on Mount Hermon. One, the eternal mother-son of paradise affirmed that Michael had fully met the requirements of his incarnated life on earth, while Gabriel assured Jesus that the eternal son's expectations had been met, and the father Melchizedek also affirmed the same for the infinite spirit. 2. Jesus was grateful for the assurance of the eternal Son and infinite Spirit that his mission on earth had met their requirements for success. Still, Jesus noted that his Father had not yet indicated that his time on earth was through. The only word so far from God the Father, and this is what was heard by the three apostles, came when Jesus' personalized adjuster said, This is my beloved Son. Take notice of him.
3. After that celestial visit, Jesus wanted to know his Father's will. He decided it was for him to follow his mortal life to the natural end. For Jesus, this was the meaning of the transfiguration and why it was so important. For the three apostles, this event marked Jesus' entering his final phase on earth as the Son of God and the Son of Man. After Jesus, Gabriel, and the father Melchizedek were done with their formal business, they relaxed and chatted about the affairs of the universe. The Epileptic Boy Tuesday morning, before breakfast time, Jesus and the three apostles made it back to where the other apostles were camped. When they arrived, they found a group of about 50 people loudly arguing among themselves. There were the nine apostles, and the rest were about equally divided between a group of Jerusalem scribes against Jesus and a group of believing disciples who had tracked Jesus down on the journey from Magadan. There were many heated arguments going on, but the main one was about a man from Tiberias who had arrived the day before looking for Jesus. This man, James of Safed, had a son, an only son, who had a bad case of epilepsy. Furthermore, to make matters worse, he was possessed by one of the wandering, mischievous, and rebellious midwayers who were still uncontrolled on earth at that time. So, he was suffering from a double whammy. He was epileptic, and he was possessed by a demon. James of Safed was a low-ranking official in Herod Antipas' government. He had been wandering around the western borders of Philip's lands for almost two weeks looking for Jesus so he could ask him to heal his son. He had shown up at the apostles' camp with almost 40 other people looking for Jesus about the noon about noon the day before when Jesus was up on the mountaintop with the three apostles. When James of Safed showed up, it surprised and upset the other nine apostles, most of whom had fallen back into their old temptation of talking about which of them would be the greatest in the coming kingdom. In other words, they were arguing about what positions they would all hold later in the earthly, heavenly government they thought was coming. No matter what, they could not entirely free themselves of their older materialistic ideas of the coming Messiah. And now that Jesus had admitted that he was the Son of God, what else were they going to talk about other than their greatest hopes? And, ambition, and ambitions. Andrew was the first to step up and greet James of Safed 
and his son. And he said, Who do you seek? And James said, My good man, I am searching for your master. I seek healing for my sick son. I want Jesus to cast this devil out that possesses my child. And then he went on to tell the apostles about how his son was so possessed that he had almost lost his life many times because of his seizures. Then Simon Zelotes and Judas Iscariot stepped up and said, We can heal him. You do not need to wait for the master to return. We are ambassadors of the kingdom. No longer do we hold these things in secret. Jesus is the deliverer, and the keys of the kingdom have been given to us. When this happened, Andrew and Thomas went aside to talk. Nathaniel and the others looked on in amazement. They were all horrified at Simon and Judas's sudden boldness. Then James of Safed said, If it has been given to you to do these works, I pray that you will speak those words that will bring my child out of this bondage. Then Simon stepped forward and, placing his hand on the child's head while looking straight into his eyes, commanded, Come out of him, you unclean spirit. In the name of Jesus, obey me. But then the lad had an even more violent fit, and our disappointed believers suffered the taunts and ridicule of the scribes and other unfriendly critics. Andrew was really upset by this foolhardy attempt and its complete failure. He called the other apostles together to pray and discuss what had happened. Then, feeling the full weight of their humiliation, Andrew went to the boy and tried his hand at casting out the demon, only to again fail. Andrew straight up admitted his failure and going to the father, asked him to spend the night with them and wait until Jesus returned, saying, Perhaps this sort of demon does not leave except by the master's personal command. And so, while Jesus was coming down the mountain with his three now super-excited apostles, the other nine were having a confused, humiliated, and sleepless night. They were dejected and embarrassed. As for James of Safed, he was not going to give up, and he agreed to stay there until Jesus returned, whenever that would be. Jesus heals the boy. The nine apostles were more than relieved when they saw Jesus and the others walking toward camp. And they were encouraged to see how excited Peter, James, and John were acting. 
The nine all rushed forward to greet them. As they were welcoming the four back to the camp, the crowd gathered around. Then Jesus asked his apostles, What were you arguing about as we drew near? Before any of the humiliated apostles could speak up, James of Safed stepped forward, knelt at Jesus' feet, and said, Master, I have a son, an only child, who is possessed by an evil spirit. Not only does he cry out in terror, foam at the mouth, and fall down like he's dead whenever he has a seizure, but many times this evil spirit puts my son into convulsions, and sometimes he has made my son throw himself into the water and even into the fire. With much grinding of teeth and as a result of many bruises, my child is wasting away. His life is worse than death. His mother and I have sad hearts and broken spirits. About noon yesterday, when I was looking for you, I caught up with your disciples. And while we were waiting for your return, your apostles tried to cast out this demon. But they could not do it. And now, Master, will you do this for us? Will you heal my son? After James heard, after Jesus heard what James of Safed said, he reached down and touched him, motioning him to get up as Jesus gave his apostles standing nearby a searching look. Then, to everyone present, Jesus said, O faithless and headstrong generation, how long will I tolerate you? How long will I be with you? How long before you learn that the works of faith do not come when asked for by someone with doubting unbelief? And then, pointing to the bewildered father, Jesus said, Bring me your son. And when the father had fetched his son, Jesus asked, How long has the boy been sick like this? Since he was a very young child, the father said, just as the boy had another violent seizure following in front of them, gnashing his teeth and foaming at the mouth. After a few moments, the convulsions stopped and the lad looked like he was dead. James of Safed went to his knees again in front of Jesus and said, If you can cure him, I beg you to have compassion on us and rid us of this sickness. When Jesus heard this, he looked down into the father's anxious face and said, Do not question the father's power of love, only the sincerity and reach of your faith. All things are possible to him who really believes. And then James of Safed spoke those long-to-be-remembered words of faith mixed in with a doubt. 
Lord, I believe. I pray that you help my unbelief. When Jesus heard these words, he took the boy's hand and said, I will do this according to my Father's will and in honor of living faith. My son, get up. Come out of him, disobedient spirit, and do not go back into him. And then placing the boy's hand in that of his father, Jesus said, Go on your way. The father has granted your soul's desire. And all who were present, even Jesus' enemies, were astonished at what they saw. The three apostles who had been with Jesus and that were now so recently excited after what they had witnessed during his transfiguration were now disillusioned seeing the other disciples so down and defeated. But this is how it always was with these 12 men. They never failed to swing between total joy and utter humiliation throughout their lives. This time, Jesus performed a true double healing. He cured both a physical disease and exorcised a demon. The boy was permanently cured from that day. After James of Safed and his son had left, Jesus said, We are now going to Caesarea Philippi. Get ready at once. And the group was quiet as they walked south with the crowd following behind them. In Celsus Garden. That night, they all stayed at Celsus' house. After supper, and they were all gathered together in the garden, Thomas spoke up and said, Since those of us who stayed here while you were on the mountain do not know what it was that got our three friends so excited, and since we cannot know yet what happened, can you talk to us about what we did wrong trying to exercise the devil out of that boy? Jesus answered Thomas, saying, Everything that the others heard on the mountain will be told to you in due time. But now I will show you the reason you failed and what you so unwisely tried to do. While your master and his companions, your friends, went up the mountain yesterday to gain a better understanding of our Father's will and the ability to better enact that will, you guys who stayed behind guarding the camp and who were also supposed to be praying along with us for greater spiritual insight, failed to exercise your faith. And instead, you gave in to your old evil ways of thinking about your honored place in, the I- place in your idea of the heavenly and material kingdom. And you hold on to these messed up ideas regardless of how many times I tell you that my kingdom is not of this world. 
No sooner do you have the ability, through having greater faith, to know the identity of the Son of Man than you fall back to talking among yourselves about your selfish desires for worldly fame. You ask yourselves who will be the greatest among you in this kingdom of heaven. Yet the kingdom of heaven as you believe in it never will be and never has been. I have told you that he who would be greatest in the kingdom of my father's spiritual brotherhood must become little in his own eyes and a server of his fellow men. It requires a godlike understanding love without attempting to exalt oneself. You completely failed in your unwise attempt to cast out the demon because your purpose was not pure, divine, or spiritual. Your ambition was not unselfish. Your method was not based in love. And your goal was not in the will of the Father in heaven. How long before you learn that you cannot time shorten the course of natural established events, except when it is in line with the Father's will. Plus, you cannot do spiritual work without spiritual power. And even when the potential of using spiritual power exists, to use it requires a third essential human factor. You must have the personal experience of having living faith. You do not need to be attracted to the spiritual realities of the kingdom with material manifestations of power. Can you grasp the spiritual significance of my mission without having to see signs and wonders? When can you be depended upon to follow the higher spiritual realities of the kingdom, regardless of what's happening in the material world around you. When Jesus had finished reprimanding the twelve, he said, Now get some rest. Tomorrow, we return to Magadan to discuss our mission to the cities and villages of the Decapolis. But first, to finish our talk about what happened today, I am telling each of you what I told Peter, James, and John on Mount Hermon. And let these words forever stick in your hearts. The Son of Man is now entering on the last phase of His time on earth. We are about to start the work that will soon lead to the greatest and final test of your faith and devotion. That time when I am put into the hands of those men who want to destroy me. And remember this, the Son of Man will be put to death, but he will rise again. The twelve went to bed that night, sad and bewildered. They could not understand what Jesus had just told them, and they were afraid to ask. But after the resurrection, they recalled all of what he said. Peter's protest 
None of the apostles slept well that night. So they were all up early the next morning. Even the Alpheus twins were shocked by what Jesus had told them the night before. That Wednesday morning, they left Caesarea Philippi and headed south for Magadan Park near Bethsaida Julius. When they had gotten just beyond the waters of Muron to the intersection of the Damascus Road, Jesus told them to go that way, which would take them through Galilee, Herod Antipas' land. And Jesus knew that the crowds and critics that were following them would instead continue walking straight down the East Jordan Road because they thought Jesus was afraid of being arrested by Herod. Jesus pulled this ruse because he wanted the day alone with his apostles. The crew continued making way through Galilee, not stopping, until well past the lunch hour. After they had finally rested under some shade and grabbed a bite to eat, Andrew piped up and said, Master, we do not understand what you are saying. We have come to fully believe that you are the Son of God, and now we hear this talk about you leaving us and about dying. We do not understand what you are trying to teach us. Are you talking to us in parables? We pray that you speak to us plainly. And Jesus said, My apostles, it is because you have stated that I am the Son of God that I am obliged to tell you the truth about the end of my time on earth. You insist on believing that I am the Messiah and that the Messiah must sit on the throne in Jerusalem even though I keep telling you that the Son of Man must soon go to Jerusalem, suffer many things, be rejected by the elders, scribes, and chief priests, and after all of this, be killed and then raised from the dead. And this is not a parable. I am telling you the truth so that you can be prepared when these events suddenly happen to us. At this point, while Jesus was still talking, Simon Peter jumped up and, without thinking, rushed up to Jesus, put his hand on his shoulder, and said, Master, it is not our place to argue with you, but I am telling you that these things will never happen to you. Now Peter said this, because he loved Jesus. But Jesus' human nature saw that in Peter's well-intentioned statement, there was present the subtle hint that he, Jesus, should change his policy of living his life on earth to the end according to his Father's will. Because of the danger of allowing even his loving apostles' suggestions to possibly change his course. Jesus immediately turned on Peter and the others and said, Get yourselves behind me. You smell like my enemy, the one who tempts us. When you talk like this, you are not on my side, but his. 
by doing this, you put your love for me in the way of me doing my Father's will. Do not worry about the ways of men, but rather the will of God. After recovering from their shock at being scolded by Jesus, and before they again started walking down the road, Jesus continued and said, If any man is going to follow me, let him disregard himself and take up his daily responsibilities. Because anyone who selfishly saves his life will lose it. But those who lose their life for me and the gospel will save it. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his own soul? What would a man give in exchange for eternal life? Do not be ashamed of me and my words in this sinful and hypocritical generation. Just like I will not be ashamed of you when I appear before my Father in glory and in the presence of all the celestial host. Regardless, many of you now standing before me will not die until you see the kingdom of God come with power. And that was how Jesus made it plain to the apostles that following him was going to be a painful and conflicting path. Jesus shocked these Galilean fishermen who continued to dream of their position of honor in an earthly kingdom. But Jesus' courageous appeal stirred their loyal, heart, loyal hearts, and not one of them intended to desert him. Jesus was not sending them alone into battle. He was leading them. He was only asking them to bravely follow. The apostles were slow to grasp that Jesus was telling them about his death, and they completely failed to get what he said about him rising from the dead. But as the days passed, Peter, James, and John, who had been with him on Mount Hermon, recalled those experiences and managed to better understand what Jesus was telling them. In all of the time the twelve apostles spent with Jesus, they only saw that flash in his eye and felt his quick scolding a few times. Jesus was patient with their human shortcomings, up to the point that they did not threaten his ability to carry out his Father's will to the end. The apostles were amazed and horrified. They were literally stunned and could not find the words to express their sadness. Slowly, they were beginning to realize what Jesus was going to endure and that they were going to go through all of this with him. But they did not fully come to this realization until long after these early hints of the future. At Peter's house. It was twilight by the time they got to Capernaum, and they stayed low, making their way unnoticed through the back streets to Peter's house for supper. As they were all lingering at Simon's house after dinner, and waiting for David Zebedee to come and take them across the lake, Jesus looked over at Peter and the other apostles and asked, As you were all walking down the road this afternoon, what were you talking about so seriously? 
The apostles kept quiet and did not answer. Many of them had continued to talk about their positions in the coming kingdom, who is going to be greatest among them, and on and on. Jesus knew this. Calling over to one of Peter's smallest children, Jesus had the child come and sit in the middle of them, and he said, It is the truth when I tell you to do an about face and become more like this child, or you will make little progress in the kingdom. He who humbles himself and becomes like this little one is the one who will become the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And those who receive a little one receive me. And those who receive me also receive the one who sent me. If you want to be first in the kingdom, teach this to your friends. But anyone who causes these little ones to stumble, it would be better for them if a millstone was hanged around their neck and they were cast into the sea. If the things that you do with your hands or the things that you see with your eyes hinder the progress of the kingdom, give up those cherished idols because it is better to enter the kingdom without the material things that you love in this life than it is to hold on to those earthly pleasures and shut yourself out of the kingdom. But most of all, do not harm even one of these little ones because their angels are the face of the heavenly host. When Jesus finished speaking, they got in Zebedee's boat and sailed across the Sea of Galilee to Magadan. All right, everyone, that's it for chapter 37, the Mount of Transfiguration. Coming up in a few days, chapter 38, the Decapolis Tour. Defend liberty. Protect those little ones. And get out there and find some way to serve man for nothing more than the sake of God. Bobby Keezer, out here. <laughs>